to the reading of your word, to hear your word spoken deeply into us, and may it transform us from the inside out. May may we be renewed each moment because your word is able to transform us top to bottom. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. No, that one's too short. Uh, Hey, good morning, Mission. Good to see everybody back. Um, I have Kaiden, who's going to help us read the word this morning. We're going to read from 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. There should be a Bible close to you. If you do not have a Bible, please consider this a gift from Mission. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passion and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord for a pure heart. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the sunshine you gave us. Give us um, thank you for Pastor Eric was safe on his break. God, um, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And thank, thank you for being there for us when we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you, uh, all three of you. All right, this morning, good morning. I am too loud, so I'm going to pause until Adam returns to his roost. Now are we good? Everybody hear me? Without the beeping? All right. I don't even know if I'm on. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for gathering with us, Pastor Eric. Thank you for returning. We, we were pretty sure you'd come back, but here you are, so we're thankful for that. So, uh, Also, uh, as your pastor, I always, always want you to be very kind to guests. But the guests that we desire to move from Ohio to Bowling Green, we want you to be extremely kind. So if you could be like super nice to this section of people over here as we leave today, just, you know, throwing that out there. They promise to be awake by the time we're over. Um, Today we will be continuing through our letter to 2 Timothy, or our second letter to Timothy in our sermon series, Center Church. We will continue building upon this idea that Paul is making very clear to Timothy. And that is that the gospel must be and must remain central in everything that we do. And more importantly, that Jesus Christ must remain the center of that gospel. The true Jesus, the real Jesus, the genuine Jesus. Not one that we have conjured up. Not one that these false teachers are preaching. But the real Jesus and the true gospel. If I were asked to sum up the entire book of 2 Timothy to the point that we are at right now in a few short sentences, or a short sentence, it's really a long sentence now that I look at it, but it would be, if you start in verse 1, it would be teach faithful men. Teach faithful men the true and only gospel, 
never forgetting Jesus Christ as the true and only center of that gospel, knowing and rightly applying the word of God as the truth about this Jesus. That's where we're at. That is where we're building upon. Today, be ready to work for that end, for what we just said, to teach faithful men the gospel, to teach those men that Jesus is the center of that gospel, to teach faithful men that Jesus is the center of that gospel, and here is how we find out about that, the word of God. Now be ready to put that to work. Now be ready to go out and do something about it. Paul starts here within a great house. He is continuing this analogy. He started this way back in the first letter, 1 Timothy 3.15, is the household of God, the family of God. That he is continuing this analogy, and Paul states here, in that household, meaning in the church, right here in this room, you will have true believers, and you will have false prophets, false teachers, false believers, people that may think they are believing the right, true gospel that may or may not be. Be on the lookout. You must know how to, last week, rightly handle the word of God to know what they are speaking is true. To know what they are speaking is right. If it is true doctrine centered on Jesus or if it is something else. We must be rightly handling the word of God so that we know that. And Paul last week said, we finished with this, God already knows who are his. He states that in verse 19. This is a reference from Korah's rebellion. In Numbers chapter 16, which we don't have time to go in depth with, but in short, this is extremely short for this story. This is when Moses was in charge. He was set apart. We'll get to set apart here in a little bit. Moses was set apart. He was useful to the master, but Korah and his cohorts thought, well, why is he so special? Why is he set apart? Why does he get all the benefits of God? He gets to go up the mountain. He gets to see God's backside. He gets to see all of these things. We're just as important. We're preaching the word. We're doing these things. So they come and they challenge Moses. And Moses says, all right, meet me here tomorrow. We'll figure this out. God will let us know. Suffice it to say that God made very clear who his people were when 250 people or so were swallowed by the earth. And it wasn't Moses. Okay, spoiler alert, in case you haven't read that. It was not Moses. Think tremors without the big worms, right? Anybody? That's how you play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon Christian style. All right, God reveals who he has, he was in that movie in case nobody, God reveals who he has set apart, fine, in that story. Paul references it and then he goes directly into this example in the household of God. He references Korah's rebellion, there are going to be real believers, there are going to be false believers. Then he goes into, in the household of God, just like in the Israelite camp, you will see both honorable and dishonorable vessels mingled together. We should do everything to make sure that not only we know the difference, but that we are on the side of the honorable list. We are not the dishonorable ones teaching the false doctrine. This is not to prove who we are to God, because he already knows who are his. This is also not to earn your honorable status, like it's a merit badge, and the Girl Scout's like, well, I'm, I'm honorable, so I, I get to do God's work. No, God will equip and ready you whether you think you are ready or not, if you are willing, if you are willing to step out and be set apart and to do these things, if you are willing to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, to reveal who you are in Christ. Why? Because then you will be useful to the master, ready for every good work. That's what Paul says here. If you cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, to become honorable, you will cleanse yourself, you will be useful to the master, you will be ready for every good work. 
And I can still remember this instance, because it was probably more than one instance, where my wife would look at me from the kitchen across the living room, if you've been to my house, good distance there, and she would say, do you really think this pan is clean? This pan, do you really think this pan is clean? Now, here's why I thought the question was rhetorical. Clearly I did think that the pan was clean, or I would not have moved on with my life. Clearly she did not, or she would have let me move on with my life, all right? I thought it was rhetorical. She apparently wanted an answer. Why did it matter, though? Why did this question even, why did it even bother to be asked? Because she wanted to use the pan, and it was not ready to be used, because grease is clear, and I can't always see it. Anyway, she didn't throw the pan away, though. She went, oh, throw it away. No, she readied it. She cleansed it. She cleaned it up. She used it. We didn't throw it out because it was an honorable use vessel, so we cleansed it to make it ready for use. See, in biblical times, there are all kinds of vessels made of different kinds of things. Some were used for honorable things like eating and serving meals. They were reusable. Others were used for things less reusable. Think uh, there's no indoor plumbing back then, and yet humans still needed indoor plumbing. Imagine that. So they had to use containers for certain things that you probably wouldn't want to just wash out and use again. So you kind of just chucked the baby out with the bathwater and then started over with these other things. So some vessels were made to be reused. Some were definitely not. Some were made of precious metals. Some were not. Some were honorable. Some were dishonorable. However, in this analogy... I do not think it is made to delineate, well, you're a silver and gold person and you're a wood and clay person. Some are made silver and gold, some are made in wood and clay. You may never throw out the gold pot, but you may reuse the clay pot, depending on what it was used for. The point here that I realized about halfway through the week, because I was like, well, how do we become the silver and gold and not be the wood and clay? And I don't know that Paul is saying that wood and clay is inherently bad, because that would in turn say that the people that are doing menial things in the church are bad and they're not to be reused and that I don't feel like that is what Paul is saying here the point here is that it matters what task that that vessel is used for that is what determines the honorable and dishonorable in 1 Corinthians 12 is just described in details Paul talks about the body of Christ he talks about being the eye and the ear well if everybody wanted to be the eye then we wouldn't be able to hear if everybody wanted to be the hand then we wouldn't be able to walk because we have no feet. And here's the word that it is used, though. Even the least honorable parts, if they are truly part of the body, are, quote, according to Paul, indispensable. That is the word he uses, meaning we can't do without them. We can't do without the wood and the clay vessel. This means that if you can only take out the trash, but you do so for the glory of God, then you are indispensable. You are a part of the body that we have to have Even further than that, I believe that what we see here in Timothy is that if you take out the trash with gospel intentions, if you take out the trash with the glory of God in mind, and a pastor is preaching with not that, then you are more indispensable taking out the trash than the pastor is preaching the word. You see, this is the real difference Paul wants us to see here. The noble vessels and the ignoble vessels, the honorable vessels and the dishonorable vessels, is not what they were made out of, not gold and silver, but what was inside of them. What, was being, what were they being used for? 
If you were a clay pot, but you are a clay pot for the glory of God, then you are more indispensable than a gold or silver pot that is not being used for the glory of God. The dishonorable vessels may have been deemed dishonorable because of what they were used for, but that's not what we judge people by. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-19 says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. It, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what makes someone new? What makes someone honorable? Is it their past? I hope not. Is it their deeds? I still hope not. Is it their works? I still hope not, even though some, sometimes if you just grab the right snippet of my life, cool, judge me on those works, judge me on those deeds. But if you're judging the whole thing, I hope that what makes me new is not my works and my deeds. You see, we like to pretend we are cleansed, like I pretended that pan was cleansed. Not on purpose, by the way, if anybody cares. It was a complete accident every single time. We like to pretend or portray to the world that we are cleansed by what we do, right? We want to put forth the best picture. We want to put forth the best image of ourselves. I mean, goodness gracious, we're here at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Doesn't that score us some points? Isn't that a check mark in our direction? Our works and our deeds would show we love Jesus. We're here, right? Jesus had plenty to say about that. Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. What does this text tell us? That if we clean the outside, our actions, that our heart will follow? Complete opposite. It says we must cleanse our hearts and our actions will follow. What our heart loves most, we will go after. A quote that I read this week from a non-Christian, by the way, it says, since most of us would rather be admired for what we do rather than for what we are, we are normally willing to sacrifice character for conduct and integrity for achievement. Meaning, if it pays off, I can kind of throw my morals to the side if it, if it ends well for me. May this never be true of Mission Church. May this never be true of its pastors or its people. The point Paul is making here is that this dishonorable versus honorable is not doing, it is being. That is how you are honorable versus dishonorable. What you are, not just what you do. This means that cleansing ourselves from the dishonorable is not simply removing sin from our lives and looking good to the outside world. I know lots of people that look more Christian than I do in a lot of their actions and have nothing to do with Jesus. It's just how they're wired. They're just good people. That is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about behavior modification here. Cleansing can and only must come through Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So again, we're not saying that good works aren't a part of it. That good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God prepares our good works. We are simply vessels or tools that he lovingly uses to accomplish those purposes. He not only prepares them, but according to Isaiah 46, he knows the end from the beginning. So he already knows if you're going to do a good job at it or not. And therefore, the end is already determined from the beginning. 
Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sounds like a really tall order until the next verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This calls us to work because God, while God is sovereign, does call us to personal responsibility. He does call us responsible for our actions, but he gives us this tall order to work out our own salvation and then goes on to say that it's actually Christ working in you that works it out for you. It is Christ working through you that works out your salvation. God is working, he just so happens to be working in us as his body. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, I think that covers all the bases there, that you may abound in every good work. Again, we see here that we are absolutely called to good works. We are absolutely called to work, to deeds. But we're not judged on those deeds. We see here the same thing we're being told in 2 Timothy. That it is by grace that God gives us the desire and the ability to carry out these works that he calls us to. But he receives the glory for them. This is not look at Justin for what Justin is doing. It's look at Jesus for what he is doing. He receives the glory. He deserves the credit. He is the one worthy of the praise for them. We are simply the vessel. So what is really important? The vessel or what is inside the vessel? No one admires a chef for cooking bad food in pretty dishes. I've never gone and eaten really good food and gone... Yeah, I mean, I would have liked it, but the dishes were really ugly. That has never happened. Bring me some bacon in a clay pot or a gold dish. Watch me eat all of it. All right? Pack that stuff in your shoe for all I care. I'm going to eat it. Everyone is a vessel of something, though. No matter what, Christian or not, religious or not, spiritual or not, does not matter. Everyone is carrying something around with them. Everyone is kind of putting forth a message with their life about what's important to them or what they love most. So ask yourself, do I truly desire to be useful to the master, no matter what? Do I truly even want this for myself? Now hopefully you answered yes, but was there any reservation? Because here's where we sometimes ignore our Bibles. We wholeheartedly and resoundingly say, use me, Lord, use me. I want to be used for your kingdom. But we're only thinking of the Billy Graham moments. We're only thinking of the glorious moments in Scripture, the Goliath moments. We do not say, use me, Lord, with the same fervor when we consider the author of this text being in prison for nothing other than preaching the word of God. Ask Joseph if he wanted to be used by God, and then remember that he was sold into slavery, rose to the top, imprisoned, back down after he was accused of rape, rose to the top again, and then was used by God, even though, obviously, we would say he was being used by God the whole time. But his glorious use came after all of that. Ask Daniel the night before he throws, was thrown in the lion's den. So what if, just imagine with me for a moment, what if God told you somehow, I'm going to use you specifically to save 50 people next year? Would you go, that sounds awesome, 50 people? Man, please do. Like, please use me for that. What if God then agrees and then proceeds to save every doctor, every nurse, and every janitor that cares for you while you die of cancer? But that equals 50 people. 
Are you still willing to say yes then? Is it a resounding, use me, Lord? Are we really ready for every good work? Or just the ones we like? Or just the ones that give us credit or give us honor? Remember, we are the vessels. He is the one that gets the credit. There are plenty more examples we can give. But I'm going to skip those. To be cleansed from what is dishonorable means to be filled with the truth. Remember, we're a vessel, so we're filled with something. Filled with the truth, to be filled with Christ, who is working out our salvation, who is purging us from all unrighteousness, so that the truth then pours out of us. Even and especially when we're in dire situations. That's when the rubber really meets the road. It's easy to say, use me, Lord, before you have cancer. It's not so easy to say it afterwards. But that's when the rubber really meets the road. Quick poll, and you can raise your hand. It won't turn you into a Pentecostal, I promise. Okay? How many of you will admit to sometimes reading your Bible? I'm just kidding. Reading your Bible and sincerely asking yourself as you're reading, why is this in here? Why did God include this in the Word? All right, some of you are lying. Um, but the ones with your hands raised, good job. Anyone not raising their hand has clearly uh, never read Numbers, chapters 1 through whatever, because all it is is Numbers. All right, confessionally, this is me sometimes. I read, and recently I've been reading, I've tried to read through the Bible, not in a year or anything like that, but just read through it methodically and effectively. And not too long ago, I don't, I don't really have an answer as to why, but I started reading through the book of Exodus. So everything's moving right along in the book of Exodus. If you've read it before, you're like, wow, Moses in a basket, burning bush, ah, plagues, da-da-da, bing, bang, boom, whatever, uh, Passover, parted seas all of these things like you're like man this should be a movie and then chap a good movie with real stuff in it instead of whatever that other movie was then we get to chapter 25 and it just comes to a halt we see an arduous and extremely detailed account of how the tabernacle is to be built every little thing the curtains the rods i don't even know what acacia wood is i googled it this week Apparently, it's all over the place, but mostly in desert regions. Imagine that. Guess where they were building the tabernacle? Couldn't use the rainforest. So acacia wood, 15 cubits, 100 cubits. I don't even know what a cubit is. It doesn't even matter. I have always wondered why we need all these details. Why didn't God just say, build the tabernacle, and then give them the instructions, but why do we need to see the instructions? We're not building it. See, we see God give very specific instructions, the tables, the cups, the poles to carry it with. And to top it all off, my lovely bearded brother-in-law over here, we were talking about it just a couple days ago. He goes, yeah, and if you keep reading, then it says, and the Israelites built it, and then it lists all those details again. It doesn't just say, which, this is my question, why didn't God just say, and then they made all that stuff like I told them to, on it, because I'm God, and they're not, and they did what I said. But instead, it says, no, they, then they made the curtains a hundred cubits long and da-da-da with the ruffles and the da blah, and the purple yarn and the blue yarn and all of these things. We see all of these items made specific to God's details. And we see here they were made ready for use by God and his people. We see vessels that must meet certain criteria in order to be, what 2 Timothy says, holy and set apart. And you read all these details and they match to a T. Israelites made them this way. If you go back, that's what God told them to do exactly. They didn't skimp. They didn't change. Well, he didn't really mean 100 cubits. Maybe he meant 99. Maybe he meant 101. No, 100 cubits. Now, God sovereignly has me reading this as I'm studying to preach this text from Timothy. So 
So just when I'm wondering, really, God, why do I need all these details? Why do I need all these details twice? Why do I need these? And he says, because there's always going to be vessels. Even if I don't have a tabernacle, even if I don't have a temple, there's always going to be vessels. But God's standard has and always will be perfection. Has and always will be holiness. There's no skimping in God's expectation. God must uphold his own standard. If he starts skimping just because we're not good enough to uphold it, then he's no better than we are. God must maintain this standard. He expected every last detail of that tabernacle to be made to the stringent expectations and specifications that he gave because he is holy. God does not lower his standard to our level. He maintains it at his level. Therefore, what does that mean he expects of us as his new tabernacle? Perfection, holiness. Some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh. I'm neither of those two things. But instead of condemning us when we don't meet those criteria, he sends himself in human form to attain that holiness on our behalf so that then we can be perfect. We can be holy, even though we're not practically upholding it ourselves. In Paul's own words, remember Jesus. We did this two weeks ago. Remember Jesus. This is how you find Jesus on every page of your Bible, including in Exodus. Because God is saying, you must be perfect, you must be perfect. But one of these days you're not going to. You're going to make a curtain at 99 instead of 100, but I got you covered. I'm sending someone to be perfect for you. And then we see in Timothy, again, not lowering the standard. We see Paul exhorting us to be cleansed and for honorable use, what does it say? Set apart as holy. Not set apart as good enough, not set apart as you're all right. You'll do. I'm God. I can use anything. That's true. And yet we are still called to this this holiness, this perfection. God's forever standard. It's in the Old Testament, Leviticus. It's in the New Testament, 1 Peter. Be holy for I am holy. There's no be as holy as you can be for I am holy. Is you must be holy. But since we know this is not possible on a practical level, what does that mean? It means to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. We have to John 3.30 ourselves. Christ must increase, I must decrease. It must be all about him and not about me. Our lives must be marked not by simply good works, but by trusting in Jesus for our perfection, for our holiness. That's the only way it's attainable. It's the only way it can be gotten in our lives. Our lives must be marked by humble submission to the truth that we are nobody. God can use rocks to take our place. He literally says that. And yet, he lovingly allows us to be a part of his grand rescue plan. Psalm 50, 7 through 15. Listen, God could not be more clear. It says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. These are God's people. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, because you're doing all of those. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Does God need us? Does he not make that clear? If I'm hungry, guess who I'm going to tell? Me, myself, not you. And then later in that same section of scripture it says, 
Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to him. So again, calling us back to do work. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God does not need us to accomplish his purposes. Any of us. Me today. He does not need me to do this. He wants us to be a willing participant. He wants us to point to his glory the same way the gold-plated acacia wood poles did in Exodus. Pointing to who he is. Pointing to his perfection. Pointing to his holiness. Hey, isn't this acacia wood covered in gold awesome? I'm awesomer. Not a word. Sign. I was talking to an individual this week. He's in the room, so I won't use Ross's name. I mean, I won't use his name. He was telling me a story about how his, his relationship with his father has been restored because of what Jesus is doing in his life. And over the past six months, how they have just grown closer together. They're talking about everything. They're not just kind of him hawing around with this small talk. But they are truly having a relationship. Then his dad gets a call this past couple months, sometime or another, about a family friend that's struggling with some of the same issues that Ross has struggled with in his past. And his dad goes, hey, you know what you should do? You should call Ross. He'll be able to help you a lot with that. So the guy did. He called Ross. Ross then talked to the guy. And was able to share with this man what God had done through Christ in his life. How God had used all of these things to orchestrate his time in Bowling Green. And all of this and what Jesus could do for this man as well. I looked at Ross as I was talking to him. And I said, man, that is a perfect example. So you're going to hear this on Sundays. That is a perfect example of being a vessel of honorable use. So that you are ready for every good work. He had no idea any of that was coming especially six months ago, but even a week before it, he hadn't thought about these people, these family friends for a while. He hadn't talked to them for a while. He wasn't orchestrating the details to try to get in this person's life or any of those things. God plopped it in his lap and said, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to talk about? Are you going to talk about you or are you going to talk about me? But God, God used that restored relationship that he didn't even have a few months ago in order to bring about all of these details for that person to hear the gospel. Now, do we know the results yet? No. I, I don't have a clue what's going on with that guy's life. I don't know if Jesus has saved him or is going to save him. And the point is that we must be ready at all times because we don't know when God is going to provide these opportunities. We must pray for the opportunities to present themselves and then pray that we are ready to partake in them when they are presented. Charles Spurgeon says, The Christian should work as if it all depended on him and pray as if it all depended on God. That is what we should be marked by if we want to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. The only way we're going to be a willing participant in these opportunities when they arise is to follow one of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture, Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus. If you're looking to yourself to be ready, you're not going to be ready. If you're hoping your willpower or your strength or your wisdom, my words are going to save someone or going to correct someone or going to rebuke someone, you're already missing the point. Look to Jesus. Jesus we cleanse ourselves by knowing God more we cleanse ourselves by loving Jesus more we cleanse ourselves by relying more and more on the Holy Spirit Christ must increase I must decrease how do we cleanse ourselves by literally cleansing ourselves from ourselves taking ourselves out of the equation and making it all about Jesus now Paul goes on to say so that's therefore's first cousin. So, since this is all true, so, since we know this is all dependent on Christ, that he resides in us, 
So, since it is not about earning or doing or deserving to be a part of God's plan, and yet here we are, a part of God's plan, maintain your honorable status by what? Fleeing youthful passions. But not only fleeing from, but running to. Flee, but pursue. I preached a sermon on this a few weeks ago. I don't even know if it got uploaded for some reason, but it was awesome. I can rest, you can rest assured it was great. Uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We must not simply be fleeing from sin. You can run from sin in a million different directions. You can just be running to another sin. Or you may be running from all sin. And if you're just running from sin, the devil's faster than you. He's going to catch you. Unless you are running to Christ, to his perfect righteousness, to his perfect faith, to his perfect love, to his perfect peace. This is the four things Paul lists here. To flee youthful passion, pursue these things. But we must pursue them in Christ. Do not run aimlessly. Paul does not tell Timothy here to flee youthful passions and to run to good deeds or to good works or to do these things and look good. He says, no, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace found only in Christ. This is not a to-do list. This is a to-be list. We must be these things. We must pursue these things. And the only way to do that is to pursue Christ who is these things. He is righteousness, he is faith, he is love, he is peace. But look what it says as he wraps up this section. Flee sin, pursue Christ. So you run away from sin? Yes, step one. Pursue Christ as you run. But what does it say? Pursue Christ along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. And my question to all of you, every person in this room, who are you running with? Who are you running this race with. If we are to maintain the status as honorable vessels, we cannot be running this race alone. And there are people that I wish could be hearing this right now. I need to hear this. But there are certain people that I can even think of by name that I hope they listen to this on our website. I hope they hear it. You cannot run alone. The devil is a roaring lion. Who does the lion eat? The gazelle that's going, I'm good. I got this by myself. I don't care that my leg is broken and I need you for protection. I'll, I'll take care of it. And then they're dinner. This is how the devil works. He is smart. If your MO is to run or to isolate or to hide when you have an issue or when you have shame or when you're not being honorable, then you are lit literally asking to be eaten. The devil will get you when you are by yourself. You must, must, must surround yourself with like-minded individuals who are pursuing Jesus with you, who are pushing you along, spurring you along, dragging you along, if that's what it takes. They are pursuing Jesus, and when you get distracted by the things of this world, they call you out on it, and they say, what are you doing? We're going this way. We're not going that way. Christianity is a team sport. It is never an individual sport. And you may say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm just a private person. I don't like people being all over my business. You're going to hate Jesus. He's all up in everybody's business. Ask Apostle Paul, minding his own business, going to the Damascus Road, and Jesus shows up and gets all up in his business. Jonah, all up in his business, so much so he got swallowed by fish. Right? Everyone, King David in Psalm 51, he is minding his own business, per se, doing all of these things. But what does he say in Psalm 51? He is begging God to cleanse him of his sins and all of these things. And then he says, the bones that you have broken. Who, who does he give the credit to for breaking the bones? God. That's getting up in your business. Breaking the bones that you have broken. 
Jesus gets in your business, and the people of Jesus should be in your business. As his hands and feet, we must be surrounded by and surround others to spur them along, to pursue with, to flee sin with and pursue Christ with them. We must pursue Jesus along with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Hebrews 10, 23-25 says this very clearly. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he, he who promises faithful, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the prodigal son moment right here. When he comes home, what does the older brother do? He runs. I don't want to be a part of that celebration because he's the one that ran away. I don't want to have to be a part of that. When the prodigal son returns to mission church, we better kill the fatted calf. We celebrate with that person because they have returned. When one is suffering, we all suffer. When one member is honored, we all rejoice together. This means all of us working together to be a family, not acting like a family, to be one. We must fulfill our roles, help one another, become vessels of honorable use. We must see that if we are living with gospel intentions, then we are impacting the kingdom. May we all be set apart. May we all be holy so that we will be ready for use when the master calls. Anyone in here that has done any job, is there anything more frustrating than almost having the exact right tool you need? It's like so close that it's like the socket that's just one size off, but that's all you got. And you're like, I can make this if I tilt it just right and cock it to the side, it'll work. But it doesn't. There's nothing more frustrating. Let us strive together to be the right tools, to be the right vessels. The only way to do that is truly believing who Jesus is and trusting in him for his righteousness on our behalf. It's the only way. Know Jesus, trust Jesus, believe Jesus, rely on Jesus, work hard, pray harder, trust Jesus, lather, rinse, repeat. That's it. It sounds so simple, and yet it's so hard to pull off. You know why? Because we're all trying to do it on our own. Rely on each other. Pursue Jesus with others that are pursuing Jesus. Then and only then will you be useful to the Master, ready for every good work. Now this morning we're going to do something a little different. This is where I normally pray. I found these two prayers online. So we are going to pray. I'm just going to be reading the prayers. Because this sums up. I don't want to try to plagiarize or, or paraphrase it. I just think it says exactly what it is. So at, if you would, go ahead and stand with me as we pray. And that will lead us into our time of communion as well. Bow with me. This is by John Wesley, if anyone cares. Make us what you will, Lord, and set us where you will. Let us be a vessel of silver or gold, or a vessel of wood or stone, just so we are a vessel of honor, of whatever form or metal we are content, Lord. If we are not the head or the eye or the ear, one of the nobler and more honorable instruments you will employ, let us be the hand or the foot, one of the most laborious and lowest and most contemptible of all the servants of my Lord. We put ourselves wholly in your hands. Put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or trodden underfoot for you. Let us be full. Let us be empty. 
Let us have all things. Let us have nothing. We freely and heartily resign all to your pleasure and disposal. Lord and Master, make us thus fit for that infinitely precious privilege, a state of consecrated readiness for your holy use. We are altogether yours. Enable us as such so to cleanse ourselves from complicity with evil within and without that we, when you require us for your purposes, may be found by you handy to your touch in the place and in the condition in which you can take us up and employ us in whatever way on the moment for yourself. May that be our prayer at Mission Church. May that be the prayer of its pastors. May that be the prayer of you individually. And may that be the prayer of us corporately that God could use us in whatever way he sees fit because it is all about him. We are simply the vessels. This morning we're going to turn our attention to our time of communion. If you are a believer in this room, if you are in good standing with your local church, and if you are in good standing with all your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have any resentments or anything like that, by all means, we invite you to these tables. We invite you to remember Jesus as your perfect righteousness, as your perfect faith, as your perfect love, as your perfect peace, because He is the only way to accomplish that. May we absolutely pray that we are set apart as holy, but may there not be an ounce of selfishness in that. May we deem, or may we strive to follow Jesus in all that we do. And may that start right now as we remember his sacrifice on our behalf. If you need prayer, I'll be in the back of the room. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, whether it's physical healing, whether it's emotional needs, anything whatsoever, you come back there and I'll be glad to pray with you. Uh, we will sing a song uh, as we partake as well. Um, and then we will be dismissed by Pastor Todd, or sent, sorry. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come to you this morning, not empty vessels. We're full of something. I pray that we leave here full of you. I pray that you would continue to fill us with your spirit, continue to fill us with you and yourself, with, with your righteousness with your love, with your peace, with your faith, so that we can go from this place speaking the truth to a lost and dying world so that they may know of your righteousness, of your love, of your peace, and of your faith. May this serve as a reminder as we partake of this communion to remind us of the sacrifice, the great sacrifice you made on our behalf so that we would even have the possibility of this holiness, of this perfection, because that is what you require. Thank you, Jesus, for providing it for us. May we always and constantly be ready for use by you, the Master. In Christ's name, amen.